This episode is brought to you by A Foul Light Shines, a new free serial novel based on a D&D campaign. The Empire of Fire and Water has known 20 golden years of peace since the end of Agenion's War, a peace which is now in peril. When a ragtag group of friends intervene in a grotesque monster attack, they're too late to save a wounded man who leaves them with an encrypted journal and the words, Trust no one, Tyre. Can the gang find Tyre, escape the claws of more strange monsters, and uncover the lurking threat to the Empire before it's too late? This story features themes of found family and strength and diversity, and is available for free on Campfire and Royal Road. A foul light shines. Come for the fantasy. Stay for the cheese-obsessed goblin gunslinger. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Reckless to Talk, our TTRPG interview show, where we sit down with some of our favorite writers, players, GMs, and streamers to get to know a little bit more about what makes them who they are. I am, as always, your host, GM Nathan, and I don't think I speak in hyperbole when I say that this episode is a must-listen for anyone who enjoys and particularly anyone who makes actual plays or really even plays in a character-forward tabletop game at home. I had the pleasure of sitting down with C. Thomas, who is an actual play performer, producer, and dramaturge, most visibly on Transplaner RPG, but also on Higher Education RPG, The Mythic Initiative, Beyond the Brook, and many more shows. Now, hold on. I can hear you saying through the podcast via this pre-recorded intro, wait, What's a dramaturge? Don't worry, we get into it. But at the heart of our conversation is the power of intentional and collaborative creative work, meaningful and personal representation in storytelling, communication, preparation, soup, monsters, and love. C has long been someone I've been dying to talk to, and I can truly say this interview was both an actual joy and something that has really changed my brain chemistry a little bit as a creator in so many good, good ways. This is one I'll be thinking about for a long time, and I hope you will too. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please go check out some of our other Reckless to Talk interviews, and hey, I don't know, maybe even our actual play episodes. We have links to all the stuff that C and I talk about in this episode, including a lovely bird call by a very mean avian. With that, I'll see you next time. Hello there, C. Hello there, Nathan. Hi, how are you? I'm so good. <laughs> it is great to meet you for definitely the first time ever. Yep, yep. Our first mm-hmm. conversation, uh, both today in regards to this mm-hmm. podcast and also of all time. So Yeah, I mean, we are total strangers, so, you know, it right. would not make sense for us to know anything about each other 
to start this. Yeah, pull up the list of Twitter mutuals Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. just like scroll and then click and then just send a random DM to be like, hey, do you want to be on the podcast? And luckily... Podcast roulette. It went to you. Exactly. Exactly. Luckily, I have been... Lady Luck smiles upon me today. (laughs) Exactly. Or or maybe not. Or maybe maybe frowns upon you. We'll we'll check in towards the end of the interview to see if it it was a lucky time indeed. But uh, see, for for both me, the host of this interview (laughs) podcast, and for anyone who might be listening and unfamiliar with who you are, what you do, could you please introduce yourself, you, your pronouns, where people might know you from, all that good stuff. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Nathan. Hello, Reckless Atalk viewers slash listeners. <laughs> My name is C. I use they, them pronouns. And you can find me making very trans, very gay art across the internet at C Plays RPG. If you know me, you probably know me because I am a producer, cast member, dramaturg, wearer of many hats, digital artist over on Transplaner RPG. If you're not familiar, Transplaner is an all-transgender, person-of-color-led, 100% original, actual play, dark fantasy series set in a non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. So that's kind of the big thing, TM, that I do. (laughs) I also guest in various different streams and I'm a performer just kind of across the TTRPG ecosystem. So if you've seen my work, you will know that I am super into dark fantasy stories about love, hope, being a little bloody, being super gay. And that's my whole thing. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. And hopefully a, a Venn diagram of all of those items all all at the same time. Yes, ideally. Ideally, we're getting all of those <laughs> vibes simultaneously. An angel who's also very bloody. That is my kind of character 100%. <laughs> and it uh, this is I don't know maybe jumping off too 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 off the deep end too immediately but it even feels like I have seen you performing in even more things recently. Is that tr- I mean beyond your normal amount of performing in transplaner stuff. Is that <laughs> true or is it just the algorithm has shifted and be like, "Hey, you want to learn more about all the things C is doing? Here's everything." The algorithm being nice to me? Oh, my God. I know. Well, no, it's nice to me because it's like, ah, here, learn about all the cool things (laughs) that C is up to. I think it's actually interesting. I've been in something of a like hiatus because a lot of the streams that I'm in are in between seasons right now, actually. So other stuff. But I think this is the time where we're all starting to come back, at least. Like, I definitely have a bunch of stuff coming up right now where... Actually, I think you're right. Mythic Initiative came back. Uh, Beyond the Brook is coming out. Higher Education is coming back soon. Seeds of Magic is out right now. I'm in a couple different vampire things that haven't even come out right now. So, okay, yeah, I guess I am really busy, huh? What a wild list of yeah. just like, yeah, there's these like eight different long running APs <laughs> that I'm a part of or whatever. And also I'm a producer and editor and performer and like the Transplaner and blah, blah, blah. Transplaner on Saturday, the live show, da, 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 da. Yeah. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm so tired, Nathan. I'm so tired. <laughs> Believe me, I, I know. Yeah. Just assume, dear audience, that we have cut a good eight full seconds of silence as mm. both C and I just like stare, stare into, into the, middle, the distance. middle distance. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Precisely. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but C, you didn't just pop into existence as That's what you this. Think. Well, okay. <laughs> You probably weren't always doing eight different actual play shows visibly publicly at all points in your life. That's true. That's true. (laughs) 
and on this show, we don't we don't start with the today, even though we kind of technically did start with the today. No, we go we burrow into into the heart of our mm. guests, into their deep origin stories, secret uh, deep lores mm. that have brought them to to be who they are today. So I love lore. Well, good news. This is all about your lore, so you <laughs> oh get to God. just info dump for as long as we decide to keep talking. My special interest, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me let me pull up my wiki that I've been mm-hmm. putting together about me. Hilariously, I do have one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I say this a lot in the Reckless Talk interviews. It's hard because there's so many big questions, right? And so many mm-hmm. topics to get through and so many other things. And it's like, all right, do I keep narrative momentum and keep asking along the lines of questions that I have been asking? I know. I've just been interrupting you this whole time with little snippets to, to try to trick you into going off topic. Correct. Exactly. Or it's like, well, all right, do I start asking <laughs> about the wiki? Or do, no, and and I have made the executive decision. I've written a note about a self wiki. We'll see if we come mm-hmm. back to it, uh, or maybe it'll be in the bonus content. Um, but see, I know you've been kind of uh, doing performance, being in the theater, and mm-hmm. been doing kind of just like drama and such for a while. But how did you kind of first and foremost get introduced to to tabletop role playing games and or just kind of like a life of nerdery, whichever is kind of uh, the most appropriate for your personal journey. <laughs> All right. So this is kind of a funny story because I did fully walk into the tabletop space backwards, not knowing where I was, (laughs) generally speaking. Uh, And you do have Connie to blame for that. Connie Chong, who is uh, a alum of the Reckless Talk interview series. Most notably, I would say of (laughs) his big credits has been on this show. I would put that one up top. Has been on the show before. Is also (laughs) my girlfriend of over five years and we've known each other for nearly eight. So Connie and I have known each other for a really, really long time. Uh, We've been together for a really long time. So my first exposure to TTRPGs was definitely through Connie. I went to, oh my God, this is like before we were like officially dating even. I went to a New Year's Eve party at Connie's house in like 2017, like 2017, 2018. <laughs> uh, and he was running a D&D game for some like friends from home uh, in Boston, hilariously. And uh, I was watching and I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. You know, like, flips hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's kind of cute. Very interesting. 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 So then Connie ran, of course, a home game for me and a couple of my like closest friends in college. Uh, that was like a year and a half long campaign, like one to I think like we got to maybe 12 or 13 by the time we graduated. Uh, it was like a year and a half. And then from there, I was like, yeah, no, I really this is really fun. I love to be gay loudly with the person <laughs> I love and also tell really interesting and beautiful stories because I'm also a theater maker and a dance scholar. In that kind of way, like, again, I just kind of like followed Connie like a little bit like a puppy dog in love where I was like, wow, you're so cool. This is so cool. Both of those things are true. Yeah. So then in like 2020, when Connie was like, I want to make a D&D podcast, I was like, OK, well, as long as I don't have to do any work for it. I'll join. And now Good. And that worked that, <laughs> that worked, worked as planned. Worked completely as planned. I do no work. I don't have a 60 hour a week job doing mostly transplanter stuff. No, that's somebody else entirely. Uh so that's kind of like the funny very backwards way where the first part of kind of like 
not TTRPGs, but I guess online TTRPG spaces was like the first episode of Transplanter. None of us were in the community at all. None of us were in the space. We just kind of like opened the door and walked in with like episode one of the show in hand. From there, I was like, hi, I do this thing. And people were like, we know the thing that you do. Hi. (laughs) And I was like, hi. So from there, it was just kind of like, again, kind of like following Connie around like a little love sick Cupid being like, wow, this this is so cool and fun. I want to I kind of try to tell this in like a dual way as kind of both the tabletop enjoyer side of you Mm. and the person who, again, has done actual theater and drama and both behind, I think, behind and in front of the, the curtain. True. So you have the kind of on the one hand, the like, cool, it's like it it aligned with some interests, including Mm -hmm. Connie being an interest. (laughs) My real special interest. Yeah, kind of continued from there. But also on the performing side of thing Mm -hmm. and kind of the storytelling side. So how did that kind of enter into your life? And when did it become serious enough, so to speak, that you did it, you know, in college and you did it as part of programs? You did, you know, kind of and now obviously continue to take a lot of those lessons into the things that you do in the in the actual play space. All right. So this is another funny story. We are getting some deep sea lore here. So yes, that's what we're here for, baby. This is what we're here for. So I was not like a theater kid TM in high school or anything like that, (laughs) or even like a dance kid, right? Like those are not particular different practices that I was super familiar with as a child or anything like that. But when I was in high school, me and my dad joined a like a community theater that was teaching mm-hmm. people how to walk on stilts. So I built my own stilts and learned how to walk on them. Hold on. All right. Yeah. I need to stop. <laughs> You're, you did wait. Uh, so. I am technically trained in stilt acrobatics where I can do some level of acrobatics with on stilts with other people who are also on stilts. That is a fact about me. I have two pairs of stilts that I made myself. How did <laughs> how did that become the like parent child <laughs> bonding experience of choice for two at least at that point at least one one member who was not theatrically immediately theatrically inclined like why was that like you saw the flyer on the telephone pole and you're like, "Yep, we're doing that." I cannot express to you how strange my family is. Let me just let me just start there. (laughs) I cannot express to you how strange my family is. Both of my parents worked at least in stage management. So my dad was like a lighting sound tech guy. uh, And my mom is just kind of like a graphic designer hippie. Both of them very much so like my dad's a surfer dude from California. My mom is a hippie from upstate New York. Right. Like uh, and I grew up 15 minutes away from the original like Woodstock site. So that's like very much like I was outside barefoot a lot as a child. So stilts are like not that far away from like the obvious next step for me on that one. Yeah. You have taken your stilt class and mm-hmm. and then yada, yada, theater, tabletop role play games, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. We'll get there. I promise. I promise it'll make sense eventually <laughs> when we get through this. I'm following. So I've got stilts, right? I go to college and, you know, like being a weird kid, I'm like, okay, well, I have my stilts. That's like an activity that I could do for normal for people. Anyway, completely unrelated, I'm taking an environmental activism class and this theater troupe comes in one day to give a presentation. And God, I immediately fell in love with their work. They're like an outdoor original theater, uh, site specific experimental physical theater troupe. 
made of mostly trans people. Do you remember what it's called? I do. Uh, they were called Children of the Wild. They are now called Open Flame Theater. I worked for the, with them for nearly six years. So 19 years old, I looked at this theater troupe who was going like on a cross country tour that summer. And I was like, hi, can I come with you? <laughs> Literally, I just like got up out of my seat after the class. And I was like, can I come with you? I really like what you're doing. It speaks to my heart in a way that feels like nothing I've ever felt before. And they were like, why don't you come to our first show? And then and you can help us and volunteer and see how you feel. And so I did. Uh, so I joined up with them. I went across like seven different states uh, as wow. a assistant slash stage manager. And that's kind of where I started to get like my understanding of physical theater from, again, from this very experimental lens. Uh, they do specifically like Grotowski based physical theater, which is like super experimental, super intensive, like very, very physical work. From there, it was kind of like, okay, from my position kind of on the sidelines as somebody who's stage managing, I have to take these eight different instruments from this part of the location that we're at, which is outside and literally in a lake. There's literally a photo of me holding a fucking <laughs> cello standing knee deep in a lake in Michigan. <laughs> from there, it was kind of like, okay, I can see everything from the outside. I see what I see what needs this production has. Like I know where things need to move in order to get the art to happen the way it needs to happen. And so from there, I can start to think of like, okay, not just like the production needs, but what are the emotional needs of the story that make the story legible to the audience, right? And that is kind of where my first experience with dramaturgy started to bloom. I moved to Minnesota after college to continue to work with them, right? Uh, we did a second show, which was just as wild, um, that aired in the summer of 2021, I believe. And then I decided to kind of like move more into, at that point, the kind of cross between tabletop and my physical yeah, theater, right. like where it's coming in. Honestly, mostly because of the pandemic, I have had a really hard time doing any kind of physical, like in-person dance, sure. theater, anything like that. It's just not something that is available to me anymore in the way that it was pre-pandemic. So I have been putting all of my like artistic desire and focus and energy into tabletops. So after that show finally went up it was like a four-year-long endeavor preparing for it wow we finally like came back to boston and now i'm like deeply entrenched in daily like ttrpg work and that's kind of how i get my kicks uh <laughs> <so> <laughs> that's, the, that's the long and short of it i think that's the mm -hmm. that's the artistic journey yeah so that's very interesting i'm for for many reasons that instant connection that mm. you described right I am watching something that I've never seen before that is is weird and interesting and sort of related to what I'm working on, but also not at all what I related to what, I, what I'm working on. Mm -hmm. Not at all. What about that first experience? You know, that that show, that presentation, that performance, what kind of made it so that you did again stand up and not just say like, hey, that was really cool. would love to learn more about you to go 100 miles an hour and be like. I'm, I'm coming, coming with, with you. you. <laughs> yep, I'm coming with you right now. What was so what was so cool about it? Like what sang to you? Queer monstrosity, I think is like the easiest <laughs> way. Like that is something mm -hmm. that is present in every single thing that I do, generally speaking, whether that's tabletop, dance, theater, anything, anything that I have a hand in making, I will put a little bit of queer monstrosity into it. And that particular show was called um, The Wastelands. And it was kind of about 
economic grief and was technically a retelling of Dante's purgatory and like traveled through these places, which really resonated with, I suppose, like my feral trans masculinity (laughs) and like my childhood being in a place that was very rural, very, very like much a ghost town in a lot of ways, a place that was like forgotten, left apart, like left to rot, basically to see a place that is both home and is both purgatory and is both loved and is both monster. And like, I could see myself there and I could see that art like resonating with me in a way that no other art had I had seen because it was like from a perspective that really spoke to who I was and aligned exactly with what I want art to do for me. So another thing that kind of immediately also stands out to me and stands out in a way that is obviously translating to to what you're doing now Mm. is the duality of behind the scenes kind of management and also performance. Again, knowing it sounded like you were stage managing a lot during those performances. But again, you have a a dance degree and you have other performances and you're obviously doing performances all the time, (laughs) six to eight times a week or whatever the heck. Those are two very different skill sets and two different, at least for me and as an as an outsider, two very different expressions and two different experiences, right? Where you get fulfillment in different ways of being in front and behind uh, behind the the curtain. Mm -hmm. Is there kind of one or the other that is like more you or are they just so different or so intertwined or so the same that it is all kind of the same creative goodness for you? Oh, that is a fascinating question. I think I need to be doing both Mm -hmm. to feel like truly fulfilled because again, Mm. kind of my like entrance into this was like deeply entangled where playing the part of stage manager specifically for uh, the wastelands was I also had to perform because I was also there and also Mm. present. So there's a necessity to be present within, within and outside of the story simultaneously, which is kind of how I feel about being a producer and a dramaturg, because even though you don't see me on like chaos streams right now, like, cause I'm not there only when Artemis appears, am I like performing there? My camera is on the whole time and I'm like taking notes and I'm doing my production stuff and I'm doing the music, but I'm also like emoting at the cast in the backstage. Right. Uh, So in some ways, like I'm still performing and I'm still kind of there in the show with them where sometimes I forget that I'm not actually on camera. Totally. Yeah. While I think that performing, performing, like being on stage, playing a character is really fulfilling too. I also really like producing as an art form. I get bogged down with producing when I'm stuck too far behind a screen. So something that was happening a lot in Second Stranger was I was doing a like absurd amount of podcast and vodcast editing every week, yeah, which was very lonely. And I didn't feel like I was having the same kind of like immediate interfacing with the cast or like being included, even though I was editing my own performances that I, I do now with Chaos, where I can kind of be like very present and very almost like live with the whole cast. And that makes me feel like very included in that way. So to answer your actual question, though, because I went on a huge tangent just there. No, it's all part of it. That is a common refrain of like, ooh, I didn't actually answer questions. Like, no, it all counts. (laughs) And I challenge anyone who disagrees with me. How dare you? Be gone, questioning listener. You know what? I did answer the question. So there. So there. But to really answer the question, I think 
I need both to be happy. If I'm not doing both, like I feel unfulfilled because I don't get my like graphic design time or I feel unfulfilled because I don't get my playtime. Like a little cat who needs like two different, I need my catnip <laughs> toy and yeah. I also need my scratchy board. So both necessary. So so obviously you're doing the production and either are or were at least doing a lot of the editing for Transplaner and dramaturging and, and doing a lot of a lot of behind the scenes stuff in addition to performing. Yeah. Especially on the shows that you are not producing, that you're just, you know, just a player on or a guest or whatever. Do you have trouble switching off the producer part of your brain and either saying it constructively or or at least just tamping it down and be like, this is not my show. I am just here as a player. How do you balance that knowledge, you know, and those mm. those kind of that kind of ability that you have to do so in a collaborative, respectful, this is your space way? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely. There's always the little part of my brain that is the producer that like sometimes I have to lock them in a closet kind of thing where I have to be like, you need to go away. (laughs) Right. I've definitely been in different spaces where like any opinion of mine as a player was like not welcome. Right. And like those are Mm. not really spaces Mm -hmm. I run in anymore at this point. Sure. It's also just about offering too and being like I have this knowledge and you can if you want to pull on my expertise at any point while also knowing that I don't always offer that because number one sometimes it's like just not my place especially as a white person particularly in a space where I do like co-create with a lot of different marginalized people like it's really not my place to be like oh this is how you should be doing anything because I also am learning constantly and I don't think of myself as like the perfect producer, right? Like there are ways that I like to do things that are not ways that everyone likes to do things. Totally. I am only a single person with a limited amount of uh, (laughs) energy. Yep. I'm tired a lot of the time too. So sometimes I'm like, (laughs) I'm just here to perform and have fun and play. And sometimes I'm like, okay, give me these graphics right now and I will make us going live graphics, right? Like I'll do it. I will make us an overlay. I will run production, right? Really, those kind of things are more so like an act of love. And I make sure that they are seen not as a like, you're doing something wrong, you're not producing right, but an act of like acts of service are like very much my like thing. And I love gift giving too. So the kind of like, I will make this graphic not because I think we quote unquote need it, but because it makes me happy. And I hope that it makes you happy. I hope that it can be helpful to us because I love this show. Yeah, totally. We'll get a little bit kind of more into those processes and how you balance giving, taking, Mm -hmm. taking up space, seeding space, all that kind of stuff behind the scenes. But I want to I want to talk a little bit again about the foray into public content making, Mm. either theatrically or an actual play or or making drawings and overlays (laughs) and and otherwise visible things. Mm. First and foremost, are you someone who enjoys the audience as part of it? Or are they a nice byproduct and something separate? Is that the electricity of either playing a game, even at a table or whatever? What does that do for you in your performance? You ask really great questions, Nathan. I just have to say, just first (laughs) off. Thank you. When we first started Transplaner, we all kind of had our little goals. Mine was like, if I can make even one person feel seen by the way that Mm -hmm. I play Oka, then I have like done my job. And I think that that is where kind of a line gets drawn in my head about like, what is a home game? What is an actual Mm -hmm. play? And what is a performance? 
because I like to think of Transplaner, honestly, we're moving further and further away from an actual play. We are moving like closer and closer towards being like actually just a performance, right? A performance of a game being played. Which is extra wild. And I mean, not wrong. Mm -hmm. I was listening to Connie's interview from God, like a year or something ago. Mm -hmm. And they were already describing it as like a performance. And then so now like a year later to be like, and we're going even harder into it is like just delightful. Yeah. Just delightful for me uh, to hear and perceive. Yeah. Like it is fully an art form for us. And I think in that way, we start to necessitate an audience where I could argue that like home games are obviously not for an audience, right? Like there is something that is specifically removed from audience-ness from being viewed in that kind of way. Actual play toes this really interesting line where some people insist that it's not a performance, right? And I totally think that, that if that's what you're doing, then that's that's what you're doing, right? That's fine. But I think that that is actually not true. If there is an audience that can be listening to you, then you are performing, whether you are being intentional about it or not. The form of actual play is very interesting in that way because Mm -hmm. some people are like, well, it's just for us, right? It's just for us. And I think there is some particular like ways that we also were like, this is a store, this is for us, but we're specifically, this is a performance for our tastes. Not that it's, we're not being seen, right? But we're not making this story for anyone else. We're making this for us. And if you resonate with it, that's for the best. And that's kind of where my role as a dramaturg comes in, where I know what story Connie wants to tell. I know what story every single one of the cast members want to tell. I know the story that our cast wants to tell together because there is a desire to tell a cogent, compelling narrative story for an audience. It's the story that we want. And it's my job as a dramaturg to take that knowledge of what the cast wants, of what the story wants to be, and make sure that the audience is getting it and receiving it in a legible way. I'm almost like a translator between the performance itself and the audience reception to be like, okay, I know this is what you want to do with Sayer, but this is how the, uh, this is how it's coming off. I know what story you want to be telling right now. Here are the strongest ways that we can start pushing into that. Here are some ideas for you about how to actually get that narrative arc going. So it requires this very deep knowledge of the character, the plot, the story, the worlds, right? That beautiful braid that makes up our performances, our art, and also like the audience that we're interfacing with to be like, I know that mostly like this is not a story for like white cis straight people. If white cis street people enjoy our content, great. I'm so glad that it's mm-hmm. resonating with you because I think that art can resonate across bounds like that, right? Like everyone can get a story from anyone else, right? And I think you can and should challenge yourself for that. But if there are certain aspects of it that you don't understand, speaking from that point of view, then it's not for you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are specific parts of like diasporic tensions that are played with in Transplaner that a lot of our white viewers don't get and are often confused by. Mm -hmm. In that way, it's also not meant for you, right? So there's this interesting like dialogue between viewers, especially from people who are marginalized creating art. And there's this like fun relationship that honestly, I get to kind of like delve into and play with a lot to figure out exactly like how to situate ourselves and also how to interface with fans and viewers and community members in that way. I could go on further tangents too. Good news. I am taking notes for circling back on to said tangents. (laughs) 
I think the conversation in the audience would be underserved if we didn't pause and describe. You mentioned dramaturgy several mm-hmm. times. And, and again, we talked a little bit about it. First, I guess, can you just start by by kind of giving us a definition of what, what that is, what dramaturgy is? This is my favorite question in the whole <laughs> world. Godspeed, everyone who's about to start listening to me talk for the next 15 minutes without stopping. The podcast is... <laughs> Nathan knows the things that are interesting for this person to just blabber on about and then invites them to take as much space as they'd like just blabbing about it. And then it's a joy. And that's that's by design. So, like, please, if I don't say anything for 30 minutes, great. Crushed it. Perfect interview. (laughs) I'm going to be recklessly a talking now. All right. Perfect. Dramaturgy specifically comes from a theatrical perspective, but I think the way that I think about dramaturgy might be a little bit different, specifically for actual plays. So I'm going to talk about that. This is specifically the way that I'm dramaturging for actual plays. It will likely be different than the ways that other people do it, the way that like dramaturgs that you'll meet at a theater in your city will do it. I think that a lot of people in the AP space are at least slightly more familiar with the idea of a lore keeper. And I like to think that a dramaturg is a lore keeper for the players, generally speaking. And the way that I do dramaturgy for Connie influences my role also as a lore keeper, right? But it is, again, settled specifically in character. So my job as a dramaturg, the same way that a lore keeper's job would be to make sure that everything, like we know the timeline of the world, we know the history of the world, we know the major players, the major beats, the political tensions in the world. My job as a dramaturg is to know all of those things on a character level. I know a character's flaws. I know their strengths. I know their story. I know their arc. I know their desires. I know their fears. All of those things are things that I understand and I kind of hold in collaboration, of course, with the person who's actually playing them. I do that for player characters. I also do that for NPCs. That collaboration between the GM and the players is also something really important. So I kind of am holding this knowledge about like, and learning in real time too, like about who these characters are, what drives them, like, what is it about them that is interesting? What story are they telling? Because in my opinion, characters take on a life of their own. And also, I think that character more so than anything else, this is a huge tangent, I'm not going to go too far into it. Character. It deeply is not. This is all, it's all, the, I'm, I'm with you. Don't worry. Dramaturgy. <laughs> Character, in my opinion, is a vehicle for story. Sure. When people are like, I like character-based role play. In my mind, I'm like, you like plot. You like story-driven role play. There's like no difference for me, at least in my ideal storytelling situation that separates story from character character is story, is plot, is world, is narrative. It's kind of in my best interest as a dramaturg to make sure that those things are all braided together. So again, kind of as I mentioned, some of like my actual roles, because this is all kind of like heady, is to take like the wishes of the players and the characters themselves to be like, for example, I want to tell a story with Oka about somebody who really honestly has a lot of self-hatred who really is afraid of themselves, is afraid of their own monstrosity, who feels like they don't belong, and tell a story about somebody who learns to love their brokenness and to learns to like step into power in the way that they need to, and to tell that kind of like reclaiming monstrosity as a story. My job as a dramaturg, you know, if I was not playing Oka, would be to take that player and be like, okay, you want to tell this kind of story 
here are some ideas for you. Mm. I'm just like throwing ideas in tandem at the same time while I'm throwing ideas back and forth with players, developing a deeper understanding of their characters of how to actually play out those things. Right. Because it's one thing to be like, I want to do a slow burn enemies to lovers 100K over the course of three <laughs> years in this campaign. And then another to actually be sitting at the table flirting with like your your friend in character across the table and be like, oh, wow, we actually it's been three sessions and now our characters are in love. How did this happen? <laughs> so kind of like being able to pace out those things. While in tandem, I am also working with the GM to be like, here are what the players want. Here is where the players' perspectives are. Here's what they want to do. Here's what they're interested in. And here's some ideas for you, GM, about how to interweave these ideas together. Because I also know exactly what your plot wants. I know what you want to do. I know where you want the story to go. And I'm able to, like, in my little dramaturg seat, give ideas to mm -hmm. the players and give ideas to the GM to braid them together, right? So mm -hmm. every idea that I throw to the players is also informed by my knowledge of the plot, is informed by my knowledge of the story, and is informed by my knowledge of what wishes each person wants to explore. It's never about like what I think is best. Yeah. I'm not telling you how to play your character. I'm not telling you what's best for your character. You know that. You're telling me what you want to do with your character, and I'm helping you, right? I like to say that a lot of people do dramaturgy a lot more than they think they are. Like the second that you jump sure. into your friend's GMs and are like, what if we did this in the next <laughs> session? Like, what if, oh my God, I love my character so much. This character playlist is exactly like a rundown of all of their emotional state. You're doing dramaturgy. You're doing it. You're actively doing dramaturgy, right? You just don't call it that. We just call it scheming, right? Because it's fun. And dramaturgy <laughs> is really fun. I'm a professional schemer. I get to like whisper <laughs> horrible little things in my GM's ear and go, Val, what if you were worse? <laughs> it's amazing. I think for me, what a lot of it boils down to is that kind of what seems like at least that attitude of being an open collaborator. Yeah. Like you said, I'm not trying to steer anything. I'm not trying to tell you what to do, but I am just trying to like foster ideas, get people thinking more intensely about their characters, about their plots, how it all fits together. How did or do you cultivate that mindset? It's one thing to to say that and that be the ideal, but it's another to actually practice it and mindfully practice it, especially when you know everyone else's ideas. And for me, there'd be a lot of temptation to be like, well, I know that this person wants to do this thing, so I'm going to really hard sell you on doing this idea, even if it's not quite what you wanted. Do you have to actively force yourself to make sure that there's that space and kind of hands off attitude? Or is that just something that that kind of comes naturally for you? I think it's something that comes a little bit more naturally, specifically mm -hmm. because like none of these are my character. Right. And I think that that's like a very important mm -hmm. delineation. And also, I think it's really helpful because we were very, very intentional about building this particular system. For the second stranger, we kind of fell into it and like built it up as we went along, right? Where it's like, okay, by arc four, actually, we are going to decide that C is actually going to be a dramaturg, like, because we need it, mm -hmm. right? And like, here are some ways where that like is working, that isn't working. Okay, but we like never did the kind of intensive like notes system that we do for chaos now. For Chaos, I am officially like the dramaturg TM. <laughs> At the end of every session, the first thing that happens before we even jump into decompression is I give notes as a dramaturg. I give performance notes where I can pull out my dramaturgy notebook right now. 
I have it with me right here. <laughs> and I can look and I can say from stream a lovely introduction, Connie, right? Like nice clues with all of you. Dynamic responses to an omen. Challenge yourself to respond differently when say like, you know, so there are like different notes that we have. And this was all built again. Like this is not something that I think you can just take and put in immediately. There are, I think, lots of long-term processes that go into like, yeah. facilitating something like this because this was day one, right? Like when we originally proposed joining chaos to the cast that is now like Sam, Kai, and Val, this was very particular where we were like, we want to approach this as an art form where we are all like striving to grow and improve and be ambitious with our performances because ambition is not like a bad word. It's not a dirty thing to be mm -hmm. ambitious. And we want to challenge ourselves to like rise to new heights in our performances every week. And also here are the ways that we are going to talk about that, right? Like particularly kind of, again, my perspective as like one of the only white people who works on Transplaner, it becomes very important for me to make sure that I'm situating myself in the position of I'm not telling you what to do with your character. Mm -hmm. And there are some intrinsic ways that I will never understand the depth that you have with your character because it's not a yeah. perspective that I have. But what I can do is use my expertise in dramaturgy, in the form of storytelling, in art making, in performance to assist you in ways to push your own performances, to push your own story, right? To highlight your story, to make sure that what you want to say is being heard by the audience. We had nine session zeros before we even started streaming, right? We had a lot <laughs> mm -hmm. of them where we talked yeah. about like, here are our values, not just like what we want to do in terms of themes, in terms of story, right? But like, here are our values as a performance collective, right? And to yep. know that that is like a really, really deeply visceral and understood part of what we're doing when we sit down at the transplanter table. That even goes so far into our like payment model, right? Where we don't pay mm. per episode mm -hmm. or per hour, we pay per week because we are intending for people to be putting in dramaturgical work throughout the week. So we like have even shifted our payment model to reflect that even in language to be like, actually, like this is a process of like constant creation and you're being paid for that also, not just the second that you kind of like log on, turn your camera on and you're your, your character. Yeah, I love that. I think that's also something that is not always reflected in a lot of tabletop space is like, all right, we're agreeing on what's important to us structurally, narratively, all that kind of stuff, how we talk to each other, what we what we talk about, all that kind of stuff. So uh, that's that's amazing. I think hopefully impactful for other people to hear. Mm hmm. To kind of get a little bit more structure around it or get a, get a more a more idea of what the structure is. So obviously you record. Yeah. But also there's a lot of other things that go on uh, after recording. I know you even said I think you have a, you have a meeting later today of yeah. with, you know, doing some dramaturgy stuff. So what is actually implementing this look like for you guys? Again, I think you've you've obviously touched on a lot of it, but just to kind of like, you know, do like the, the daily schedule yeah. <laughs> for everything. No, I'm super into that. I can talk about what we're doing this week because we are uh we have a boss fight coming up our first boss fight of the campaign is on saturday so basically like we stream on saturdays so sunday is an off day like it's a completely off day like you will not be finding me doing work online on a sunday Thumbs up. Uh, absolutely not between monday and tuesday connie and i will sit down we'll like do a in person because we live together discussion about how the session went and what we want for the upcoming session the next Saturday. Be like, okay, like they did this, this, and this. That was great. 
Everything's working really great. I have some ideas about what's going to happen to the boss fight this week. Here are the three different things that I'm like really thinking about. Okay, great. This looks really good. And then I will take that meeting, right? And Connie will be like, oh, like, what do you think about this? And we'll like do a little bit of dramaturgy there, right? And I'll be like, actually, like, Connie, that doesn't make sense because you set up this thing, right? We'll go back and forth there. It'll be like nice and generative. Um, Usually those Mm -hmm. are pretty quick. Maybe like an, (laughs) I say quick, maybe like an hour or two, right? (laughs) After that, I usually like to get a session overview to the cast by Monday or Tuesday, which is not like necessarily spoilers, but it has like, okay, episode, you know, stream number nine, this is going to be your boss fight, right? In the first part, like you're going to have the introduction of your big bad. Here she is. She's going to give her a little villain monologue, right? And then we're going to enter combat. And then I might put like some little dramaturgy ideas for specific things, because even even though it's a fight, it's also narrative, right? So this mm-hmm. week I was like, okay, like, I think it could be really interesting if Zainan and King Maswu had a moment during this fight. Sayer, I think you should go toe-to-toe with this villain, like, for dramaturgical reasons we could talk about. Sam, you're actually going to be absent this week, so let's figure out how we're going to narratively, like, take Lumira out of this, and so when we come back, we'll have, like, a Lumira-focused episode the next time, right? And so I post the session overview for everyone, and then it's kind of a, like, call at the end to be like, all right, if you want to talk about this more, let's set up some dramaturgy meetings. And this week particularly, like, I don't always meet with everyone every single week, but usually I meet with everyone like two, three, maybe four times a month, just generally speaking. Yeah. We're like this week I am meeting with everyone. I met with Sam and Kai yesterday. I'm going to meet with Val tonight. It's and the like hour long conversations to be like, okay, like you got the boss fight coming up. Like, what are you really excited about? What do you want to get out of it? And from there, those conversations can inform me like, okay, like Val, I know that you really want to play with like this tension between the darkness and your character. Connie and I have really like amazing ideas about how like this is going to play out and have like some really exciting stuff prepped for you. Like, again, I think it'd be really great if you wanted to go like toe to toe with your with the big bad who's like coming in right now. After I have all my dramaturgy sessions, Connie has also been simultaneously kind of working on session prep, generally speaking, working on like spiels, working on world building, et cetera, et cetera, planning out stats, all of that. And so after my dramaturgy meetings, which also can sometimes just be like typed out, like we'll just like go back and forth, like violently messaging Mm -hmm. each other about like absolutely (laughs) feral ideas, like back and forth forever. It's the best. And then I'll go back to Connie and be like, okay, like Sam had this amazing idea about what to do with Lumira. And these are the things that are really resonating with Fair about how to bring those forward, right? Um, and then Connie will incorporate that immediately into his like final pass of his notes, of his GM notes. And then like by the end, we'll have a session overview that looks mostly the same as it did earlier in the week. I'll post that on Saturday, make sure everyone's on the same page. We hop on call. We do our check-ins. We do uh, drum, like any quick notes from for top of session be like, I think the first half is going to be longer, stuff like that. Uh, and then we go live. I do a lot of <laughs> other stuff simultaneously, but dramaturgically, that's kind of like my week to yeah, totally. week, like how it actually works through there. Yeah. And sometimes if I have notes on Saturdays, like those notes can be incorporated in, like, for example, the like more dynamic responses to omens, right. will probably come up. Like uh, when I talk to Val later tonight, it would be like, okay, here's some like other ideas on how to expand just beyond like kind of a panicky response to an omen that Sayer gets, right. Like mm-hmm. let's push that or like, let's, let's see how to expand your performance in those moments. I love dramaturgy. Oh, my God. I love talking to you about it already. So, <laughs> so yes, good, great, because we're not done. Obviously, campaign one, you were a, also a player. Yeah. You know, the process was getting ironed out and didn't come right at the top mm-hmm. um, and kind of, I assume, got much refined uh, even after oh, yeah. it was introduced. 
can you compare and contrast the process or at least the feeling of dramaturgy when you are kind of a behind the scenes, truly more of a producer who shows up and, and has fun, but is kind of a just a collaborator with everyone to kind of elevate the story and elevate the experience versus like you also have a character and you are a part of it and you you have your own ownership mm-hmm. over this character. Is that a different experience for you or is it kind of all can you divide your brain? <laughs> oh, it's a super, super different experience. And part of the reason that we're doing campaign two the way that we're doing campaign two is because it's really hard to dramaturg yourself. It's yeah, it's really hard I to imagine. dramaturg and to play a character. Yeah. Because even in Second Stranger, even though I was dramaturging, Connie couldn't tell me everything. There were still secrets, right? Yeah. Like that I as a player was not allowed to know, that I couldn't know. Like honestly, for the good of the story. Sure. I love the Second Stranger with my whole heart. I am so proud of the story that we made. I think that honestly, I would not go back and change anything. However, from a dramaturgical artistic <laughs> standpoint, if we were doing what we're doing now for chaos at the start of Stranger, I think it could have been literally the most impactful piece of art ever made on the planet. Uh, so, <laughs> hell yeah. I'm not saying shit to the contrary. So fucking yeah. hell yeah, go off. So that's honestly just a testament to how much I love everyone on the cast, right? Like, because I think that they make the most beautiful art on the planet. It's really hard. And I think in a lot of ways, Stranger it didn't suffer for it, but like, it definitely it could have been stronger in so many ways. Right. Like and that's part of the learning process of it. Right. Like to learn like, OK, actually, like it necessitates really like I need I need to be able to know. Right. Like I really do. In right. order to actually do my job to its fullest capacity, I need to be able to know. And that necessitates that I am not a player. I'm going to take a quick tangent because I think this is super interesting and something that we've started to do for campaign two. So specifically, we have our main cast PCs, right? The three main cast trio. And all of the other cast members from campaign one are coming back, not as guest players. We're very specific about calling ourselves, we are playing NPCs. We are non-player characters. We're not guest players because we, Mm -hmm. similar to dramaturgy as a dramaturg, are involved in the GM's plot line. Yeah, you're there to enact something yeah yeah we're totally. a force of the story being played by ourselves right we're taking on a role more so than we are playing a guest character because that insinuates that we are in some ways quote-unquote playing the game mm-hmm. but we're not right we are agents of the story working almost like hand in hand with connie we are an extension yeah. honestly in a lot of ways we're co-gms when mm-hmm. we step into these yeah. characters right so i get to play artemis as a co-GM NPC, which Mm -hmm. is like very, very different than trying to play Oka as a player character at the same time. Totally. As much as I love Oka, by the time we were in arc eight, where everyone was like, the dramaturgy was the most important it had literally ever been, right? Like bringing a three year long campaign to the end of its life, making sure that everyone in our eight person cast (laughs) got the Uh narrative conclusion that they needed to get making sure that all our npcs from a three-year-long campaign got the narrative conclusion they were meant to get making sure like eight different schedules right like (laughs) i love everything again i love everything about second stranger but my performance i was struggling a lot with my performance as oka because i did not have the time sure to like put into actually like thinking about bringing my performance as a performer to a full close. Like I got there, I was able to Mm -hmm. do it. 
And I'm really proud. And I, again, wouldn't change anything. But if I had a dramaturg for myself, I feel like I could have flourished in a lot. So we've specifically taken a lot of things that we learned from that and reinvited it into chaos in a clearer way that helps me as a dramaturg and also helps me as a performer because I can step into Artemis and get the same kind of joy that I get in stepping into Oka while also being able to keep those clear lines of delineation. And it's also like less confusing for the cast, right? To be like, oh, but you're a player. You also know weird things and you're connected to the story, all of that kind of stuff. So like, yes, yeah, that makes sense. Where where it is just, ooh, wow, look, Connie put on a fun face filter and is doing a really good C impression as opposed to C is here also playing. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I think it's also and this isn't even a question, but it just it bears saying that it's it's notable that you guys make it clear, like you said, in the in the values, in the kind of vision and in the payment structure and everything that that's the level of kind of rigor that you you guys want to bring to your characters, to your performances and that it is stated up front of, hey, here's here's what we want and here's what's important to all of us. And we all agree on that as part of the process. A hundred percent. Is that something that either Connie or you and Connie, knowing that, again, you're kind of like your producer, semi-co-GMs, dramaturge, et cetera. (laughs) Was that something that was like day one? Hey, if you're signing on, this is the value Mm -hmm. that we want to hold ourselves to and hold everyone to. That everyone's going to try their best to bring their best selves each recording day. I remember Connie said that specifically and really stuck in my brain. But also like... We want you to be thinking about this uh, in the off hours. It's not just a show up at the table kind of thing. So, yeah, was that a conscious decision? And I guess why why did that feel important um, to you guys to make that kind of uh, make that clear, I guess? A hundred percent. It was absolutely a conscious decision. Like the kind of hiatus that we took between campaign one and campaign two, even because campaign one was coming out still so far in advance because we had pre-recorded it. So we had actually yeah. a longer hiatus than people even think. Ha ha ha. But all of that time was spent <laughs> ideating about this, thinking yeah. about how to do it and then like finalizing those steps to be like, yes, we have to be upfront about this. I, and I mean, it's Slightly easier because we don't do public casting calls, right? Like we sure. we cast privately, particularly to be like, to be first of all, thinking about like, okay, who who do we think would be somebody who could flourish in this kind of situation, right? First of all, who do we really want to see performing at the table? Who do we really want to see like taking this on? And who do we think would be interested in this, right? People that we've spoken to before and been like, yeah, I'm interested in pursuing AP performance as a profession and as an art form, but also to be super upfront about it because it is demanding. Yeah, sure. You cannot just sit down at the table and like pretend that you're ready to be there. It absolutely demands a type of attention that I think is fairly uncommon in the CTRPG space. It also demands a intensive kind of compensation that we make sure that we are like up to the level of at the very least of like also paying our performers for the time and energy that they put in. Yeah. It's super important to be upfront about that because that informs our cast because we're casting not just not for 10 episodes, not for five episodes, not for a mini series. We're casting for three years. Yeah. Right. Every week for three years. You have to know going in and you have to be as clear as possible. Yeah. Absolutely. So something that I I certainly come back to, and I feel like a lot of people, you know, kind of like what a lot of tabletop role playing game as content comes down to, as with 
theater, as with so many creative things, is that it's a group project, right? Everyone is contributing in big or small ways or in invisible or highly visible ways. And also there is that ownership inherent to tabletop role-playing games, right? Where like even the kind of most generous players are still like, well, that is my character though. Or like these are my decisions or this is the story I'm kind of most connected to and most interested in. That can be hard for a lot of groups. Mm. You have to say no sometimes to anyone, yeah, to people, to Connie, to yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate all these lines of communication and all these different visions. Strong ideas loosely held. Mm-hmm. That is like one of the core tenants that we have on our like initial pitch sheet in our one of our first session zeros. One of the values that we hold for Transplaner is mm-hmm. strong ideas loosely held, which basically means like you should have strong opinions on your character. You should care a lot about them. But those strong opinions should be loosely held because we have done a lot of intentional work in building our characters for this story. Mm. So number one, kind of coming in with before we ever talked about character, I'm going to, I'm going to tangent really hard and be like, this is not the kind of performance that you bring in like another character from another campaign that you didn't get to play. Absolutely not. You are building (laughs) a character from the ground up, like a brand new character. And before you even start thinking about character, we didn't get to character conceptualization until session, like session 0.5, right? Five session zeros in because first we're going to talk about the story. What story do we want to tell? We come to the players and be like, this is the story. These are the themes that we want to talk about. We want to talk about rebellion, revolution, queer love, hope in the apocalypse, and grief. Grief is a huge theme for campaign two. I don't think it's spoilers to say that. Like grief (laughs) and the process of it Mm -hmm. are really strong. And not only are we giving our players and our collaborators information about what the themes are, we're also giving them our thesis about those themes. So we're not just saying this is a story about grief. We're also saying, here's what we want to say about grief. A lot of people can be interested in telling stories about grief, but have very different opinions about what it means for them. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about grief, particularly, we say specifically, we're talking about grief as a process that never ends. Grief as a process that is better when shared. Grief as a process that is something beautiful and broken that hurts and that never ends, but is deeply necessary. We start with our themes and our thesis statements about what those themes mean. Those are absolutely necessary. Mm-hmm. So I can even read this off of our session zero, where we say a theme is a core creative concept we'll be exploring at the table, while a thesis is what we're trying to say about that theme as an ensemble. We have three core themes and three core thesis statements about vengeance, revolution, and grief for chaos specifically. And then from there, after having these long, long conversations about these themes, what we think about them, what we th- mean about them, this is all before the char- like our players have officially signed on. Coming to them with this is what we as storytellers, as a GM, as a kind of leader of this collaboration want to tell this story about. Do you want to tell this story with us? Yeah. And then the players have a chance to say no, or they have a chance to say yes. Like, yes, I do want to tell this particular story with you. And from there, then it becomes a question of, okay, how do you want to play into these themes and play into these thesis statements? How are Mm -hmm. you going to tell this story that we want to, and we have agreed to tell together? 
That's like the important part. So that is where those ideas of strong ideas loosely held start to come in, right? To be like, we know what we want to do and you should have strong opinions about what you want your characters to be doing. However, you also need to be flexible with the demands of story, narrative, and form. Mm -hmm. We might not have time to get into it. It might not make sense. I can even say for myself, since Sam is going to be away for our next upcoming episode, I want Artemis to appear so badly. I want her to come in like there's a perfect opportunity for her to come in, but it does not make sense dramaturgically. And I think it would undermine future things for Artemis that Connie and I have planned out. So I have to be like, okay, I can't do that as much as I want to. Right. And acknowledging that, like, it would have been fun. There's a fun AU where it happened in my brain. I can like (laughs) tease my fellow players and scream about it. Right. But also I need to understand that there is a necessity for the art form that I'm making. And that is shared, I think, as a value amongst the entire cast. For sure. Something that that jumped out at me once again, and and maybe this is just too much of an insight into my own my own <laughs> broken psyche, but kind of working in the role that you are. P- players own their characters, right? And to to a degree, right? That's like air quotes, blurry blurry lines of collaborative storytelling. Mm-hmm. And Connie, as GM, is able to be like, "Yep, this is kind of the story that I'm wanting to tell." Again, in collaboration, and blah blah blah. Here's the world that I'm building in collaboration. Here the themes that I'm kind of interested in exploring and saying something about. And then their C is in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I'm fully just in the middle. Which is lovely, but it kind of also at the same time, at face monkey brain value <laughs> is like, yeah, but what what do I get to say I did a good job on? You know, like where everyone's like, well, oh, and then C really did a great job with this character. Or like, wow, C is a is a great GMing or whatever, but you're you're doing all your stuff behind the scenes. You are only stage managing mm. in an a, a tabletop industry that celebrates the people who are most in front of the camera the most. The big GMs are always the biggest stars, right. theoretically. Yeah. And then there's like a couple players and then like it, name four editors of a podcast, yeah. of a big <laughs> podcast, right? Yeah. Mars, you are everything to me. Heart emoji, heart emoji, right. heart emoji. We can name <laughs> a few editors who, whom we deeply love. But in terms of like the public, right. what's the amount of like ownership of success for you as someone who's working behind the scenes, working very hard, obviously, doing all, has fingerprints in everything, <laughs> but also not... Not a face anywhere. Yeah, not a face. And you're technically not like holding anything. Mm-hmm. You're helping every single little iota of everything minus saying words for your players. Right. How do you, I guess, just feel about that and how do you kind of handle it if it even occurs to you? Yeah. I mean, there's always the classic amount of like imposter syndrome, self-doubt that comes, of course. Yeah. You know, as (laughs) is that normal? (laughs) Ha ha ha. Anyway, moving on Um, from there. I think I am really, really deeply lucky to work with the cast that we work with. Mm -hmm. Connie particularly, but the entire cast, it's really sweet. They're constantly singing my praises, right? And we have like, even though I am not performing when we do our decompression, like I'm part of the affirmation, right? That we do, like everyone gives me an affirmation where they're like, see your notes from last week really helps me with this moment. Like, and everyone is just genuinely very nice to me, right? Yeah. And it's very affirming of my presence to be there. Mm-hmm. Even in the last uh, stream we had, Connie was like, after they did the round of introductions, Connie was also like, Aunt C, who's in the backstage? <laughs> like, you know, we'll come in yeah, yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. 
I'm very lucky in that way that my collaborators are very loud about my presence mm -hmm. within their own work, especially also a stranger. Like nobody has taken credit, right? Or like assumed or talked about their work separately from anyone else. It's always in collaboration with the group as a whole and also with me as a dramaturg, right? So I never feel necessarily like left out of any yeah. like situation, particularly. I think it's, it's really, really sweet. Connie is, uh, I think, one of the loudest people about it. Even when he was on Adventuring Academy, like I watched Brendan Lee Mulligan say my name, right? And yep. to be like, ah, yep. ah, right? Like, okay, okay, right? Like, Can confirm also also had a similar reaction to yeah. watching the same thing. Yep, yep for yep, sure. Yep, yep, yep. So I was like, oh my God. Okay, yeah. So again, I'm really lucky in that way. It also is helpful to think about and decouple the idea of ownership right like yeah. from this it's like a story that we are creating it's like a soup mm -hmm. maybe nobody talks about the broth or the carrots <laughs> right but like we, it's all our soup yeah chaos is part of me and it is also part of everyone mm -hmm. else i think when we talk about it in that way it also helps to like make me feel included and there's also something like deeply sweet i was just saying this last week where like when I can see the players implementing the notes that I give them, sure. right, where I can literally see like one week to the next week, the fact that they were thinking about the thing that I said to them, because they are such incredible performers. Every Anytime I can literally see them taking my notes yeah. and implementing them, I'm like, wow, I am there and I'm living <laughs> and I can see it and maybe no one else yeah. can. Right. But I can. And that's what's important mm -hmm. to me. And of course, like our fans are really sweet, right? Like they love Artemis. I post about the recap doc and people are really sweet in chat, you know, stuff like that. So I think that really helps too. And and decoupling the idea that like it's important for me to remember that chaos is like not about me. Right. And again, like for, like further for centering sure. like myself and like understanding my own like whiteness too. And to be like, it's actually not important for me to take the spotlight here. And I am mm -hmm. very content and very happy to do the work for the story that I'm doing behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Like I, I don't necessarily need to take that spotlight again, because the people who matter to me know what I do and respect what I do. Yeah. Even my collaborators who are not involved in chaos know what I do and respect what I do to even say like you have invited me on because you have questions about what I do and also respect <laughs> what I do. Right. Like to be yeah, like, yeah. Sure. So I feel like that is all I could really ask for really. And I feel really lucky to, to be in that space, like settled in that situation and that dynamic, which was also very intentional to build up. Mm -hmm. You did a lot of work as editor. Yes. A and also obviously in dramaturgy, this is a big part of it, but of, of tone. Mm -hmm. And obviously the players said a ton of that. Connie sets a ton of that, but anyone who has done editing or been on an editing show or edited show knows that editing is a kind of big part of capturing tone, but also kind of like adding pace or subtracting pace or adding drama or highlighting a spectacular moment or whatever, especially on a show that is so collaborative like Transplaner. How do you approach being able to say, here's the transplaner uh, uh, tone <laughs> TM, right? Or the like the transplaner experience for the final edited product. Is it just a natural extension from all the work that you guys are already doing? and You're just like enacting it. Or are there a series of decisions that you've kind of made by yourself or as a group that kind of have now honed three or however many years <laughs> later uh, and turned into like a style book, basically? Mm, I think it's the latter, really, like that 
there is some intention now, right? Like at this point where we could be like, okay, everything we learned from campaign one, here's what we (laughs) will put into campaign two, right? Of course, because our first arc, our pod, we sound bad because our mics (laughs) were bad because we didn't know anything about podcasting or recording or doing APs at all, right? So, but of course, the real question that you're asking, like that's that style guide, I think it's hand in hand with our themes and our desires and our like ambitions about, again, kind of like- Pushing the needle from actual play game to performance art, theatrical experience of an actual play, threading that needle, of course, like, and again, working with collaborators, because while I was editing, um, all the VODs and the second half of the podcast episodes in uh, The Second Stranger, we have now given our podcast edits over to the lovely Mercy Ewing (laughs) of Hemlock Creek Productions. My beloved, you do so many amazing (laughs) things for us. It definitely was a process. Connie has worked with them more, but like to be like to switch that, right? To be like, actually, we can take out some of that table talk. The table talk matters very, very little. Yeah, exactly. It's like audio drama editing Mm -hmm. uh, for actual play. Uh, and yes. as soon as Connie had that conversation with Mars, it was like, bam, there it is. That's what we want. Yeah, beautiful. Totally. Got it. That's something that I have always really liked as an editor. Like, I love background music. I think it's so important. I'm very <laughs> mm-hmm. sonically, like, focused in a session. So, like, being able to add really incredible music to really incredible scenes, like... It doesn't make me feel like I'm editing or making choices. I feel like I am able to listen to what is being said. And then I use like, again, my own creative expertise to thread that and highlight it, bring it up. It's not about overpowering the scene. It's about highlighting it and like bringing it up to the level that it desires to be at. Totally. A cynically minded person mm. would hear your your guys's process about how much is kind of planned, right, and how how much back and forth there is, and be like, well, oh, that sounds basically. This is I I can't yeah. I literally couldn't even say it without like a mental uh-huh. break. But like you know, this is like the, it airing on the side of like scripted, right, or like everything's already planned out, and yeah, you're not like pre writing exactly dialogue, and I'm sure there's some surprises that Connie has and blah blah blah, but like. You know what's going to happen. Get good. That's what I have to say to you, dude. Get fucking good. Have you ever made art before? Yeah, right. Life. Right. <laughs> so, A, I think you answered the first part of that question. And again, before for anyone listening, we also do this. We also talk yeah. a lot about here's what the session's kind of going to look like. Here's the tones. Here's the whatever. Get good. Do you guys have to be intentional about leaving space for discovery? As there is that level of kind of like planning and back and forth and kind of getting all on the same page and alignment, do you just find that it still just happens because such is the chaos of dice and players and nonsense? Or is it like, okay, hey, there's going to be a scene with an NPC and they're going to have some goals and we'll see how the players react to it. I have so many big feelings about this. This is so good. (laughs) We're like getting into it now. Hell yeah. So my opinion is that All of this work, this actually tells our players basically nothing about what is actually going to happen. For sure. 
If you think that having a deep understanding of the themes of your story of or of who your character is means that you have scripted something, I think you're bad at art. Uh, so I'll just like put that out as a baseline, right? Like I think um, that's going to be the pull clip yeah. for the interview. Is just I think you're bad at art. Boom. I think you're bad at art. Boom. Yep. And I'm going to have that be my ringtone and also the pro- the promo for this episode. Listen, Godspeed to your Twitter mentions. Could not be me. Um, I'm going to pretend that I don't see any of them. Anyway, all to say like that, that actually tells you nothing. The idea of a script that actually just means that you are prepared to come into your session It's about being prepared to Mm -hmm. improvise. It's preparation, not planning. When I say we have a session overview and it's like, you're going to meet the Prin today. You're going to meet Prin Him Suhyun. The players have no fucking idea what that <laughs> means, right? They're just prepared and yeah. they say, oh, I can go back in my notes and look up what we know in character about Prin Him Suhyun so that I'm yeah. not like, who's that? As soon as they show up at the table. Yes. That's preparation. It helps your players too to be like, actually, there are some things that you should know about because we're telling an intentional story. And I would even say that we as Transplaner in our session zeros have given our players a lot more in terms of the plot because it's important for them to know. Mm-hmm. And I won't get too far into spoilers about this, but they're kind of like the crux of the campaign, generally speaking. Totally. The thing that the campaign hinges on, our players know about because they should be leaning into it as performers, as players, as storytellers. They should be setting this up. It's kind of like Second Stranger, first episode, what happens, the cataclysm happens, right? Mm -hmm. We technically didn't know about that, but we could have, right? So we could have played into it. So we could have known where we were going to go to be like, actually, like, this is what our story is about and you should know about it. And again, there is nothing about when this moment happens that is scripted. Yeah. And again, preparing your characters, especially if it's heavy, especially if you're telling stories about grief, especially if you're telling dark, fantastical stories, right? To be like, okay, we're going to tell a story about an apocalypse prepares you enough to get in the mindset to tell a story about apocalypse without ever knowing how in the moment you are going to resonate in your character and perform apocalypse. Yes, totally. I don't even remember what your question was. Um. <laughs> no, that doesn't. It doesn't matter. The question is irrelevant. The answer is all all that reality requires. Yep. Is there like a common theme? We'll say for what you do keep secret. Is it just kind of case by case, or is there kind of like a unifying thesis around like here's the kind of stuff we're not gonna the the players or the GMs or other players are not going to know about what this other player is doing? Um, Or is it just kind of as the story demands? It is almost always the how. Mm. I can Mm -hmm. even say that like, uh, this won't come out by the time this is relevant. So it's not spoilers. So I'll just say it, right? I can say to the players, right? Like by the end of this fight, the big bad should get away because we need them later in the arc. Yeah. It's the how that honestly Connie doesn't even know because that is the improvisation of it all, right? So we can say like, it is necessary for the story for this plot crucial NPC 
to get to escape you. How that happens? Who knows? Will they have one kidnappy? Will they have two kidnappies? Will they have decimated you and got away? Will they will you have gotten to interrogate them before mm-hmm. they get away? Will you get to like hold them hostage for a little while before they get away? Will it be like a last minute thing where they suddenly get away? We don't know. Connie doesn't know. Mm-hmm. The players don't know. That's up to the improvisation of it all. Right. So yeah. it's the how it is the actual when people think of quote unquote scripting, right? Like that is the actual thing that would be quote unquote scripted, but that is the thing that is kind of left to chance. That is the secret Mm -hmm. of it all. So we can even say like, here's this plot crucial thing. For example, there is an apocalypse. How? We don't know. That'll be the thing that comes naturally. That is, that is where it lives. Mm -hmm. The players even like know a lot of their other secrets, right? Again, because I think like it helps to share above the table, right? That like players can lean into each other's secrets and like prod in interesting ways, right? And Mm -hmm. to like have these interesting dynamics. But you can even say like, oh, my character had a lover that they lost. How? I will not be telling you until it becomes relevant, (laughs) right? Like (laughs) you will not be knowing that. Even in our like very intentional and very forward and I think very open approach to Mm -hmm. preparing for streams, in that way where I think, you know, Gronards would be like, blah, 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 it's not the spirit of actual play. <laughs> I, I Again, not- <laughs> dear listener, if only you could have seen the look that C delivered upon saying that, it you would melt. Me actively debating whether I could tell somebody to shut up on your podcast, because this is not my house. See, <laughs> but- it is. It, yes, this is my podcast, but this is your space. This is your, your, your time. It's my apartment in the house. Where I say, get out of my room. Right. And that's yeah. that's fine. That's welcome, even encouraged. As a player, how do you go about putting characters together? When you're sitting down to make a character, again, either for, for Transplaner, for anything, being someone who is rooted in that kind of like <laughs> theatrical story first kind of approach. Yeah. What does at least it start with? You know, kind of what's the what are the bones that everything is built on for you? Uh, really the question is what am I hyper fixating on right now? Uh, and then I go yep. from there. Reasonable. But Reasonable. The, the real answer to that question, of course, is like, of course, depending on what the style of the channel is, like what the style, like, do we get the themes? Do we not get the themes? Do we just get the world, etc. It is usually less like what story do I want to tell and what story do I want to explore? Because that gives mm. me more room to engage with whatever eventuality the GM and the other players will come up with. If it's not as an intensive experience as it is with Transplaner, right? Because with Transplaner, I would go through the process that I like described already, like the, 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 the themes and then building a character out of a theme, etc., for most APs that I am cast in, where it's kind of a like, here's the concept, here's the world, here's the style, right? Totally. And from there, I can be like, okay, what am I interested in exploring in this context? Because I like to build my characters contextually within the world. I obviously like to tell stories that I'm interested in and to like challenge myself sometimes to like pull farther in different directions that I've gone before. What are my interests right now? Like, what am I interested in exploring? I'm yeah. always interested in exploring divinity and monstrosity. <laughs> for example, for Mythic Initiative, I can say, okay, I am interested in, we're playing Monster of the Week for our first season, Apocalypse Keys for our second season. I am interested in playing a guy who is a normal guy who is worse than every monster that we face, right? Like, how do I make the worst little baby yep. in the whole wide world? Yep. <laughs> Somebody who is literally heartless, right? Because those are 
like themes that speak to me, right? Like what it means to love, what it means to be monstrous, right? What it means to sit in divinity and sit in power and sit in magic, to be named heartless, like et cetera, et cetera. And to like tell stories about love, of course, like hooking onto different uh, characters that are in that with me, of course, is really generative. And then I kind of go from there. And honestly, that is like most of my characters where I'm like, okay, how can I be the most fucked <laughs> little guy in the world? For example, for Beyond the Brook, which is coming uh, coming up soon that Drac is producing, that kind of is like contextualized in an over the garden wall style. So I'm like, okay, because it's about childhood and growing up or like the main themes of that mm-hmm. show oddity too, like monstrosity in that way too. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to play a kid who got lost in the woods many years ago who wants to be a wolf now. And I'm going to like integrate that with my like feral understanding of my own transmasculine childhood and that Mm -hmm. very wild way that I exist in the world. And I'm going to build a character out of that seed. And then sometimes, of course, for like simpler things, it's like, I'm going to take an archetype. I want to be like the knight, right? Like I want to be the knight. And then I'm going to like grow what that means out of that and like put the little C twists on it, right? Where I can like generate like, okay, how do I make this more fucked up? That's basically (laughs) the question I always ask myself. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and, and I have other kind of performance related questions that I I wanted to ask, but I, I think it is important to ask in this moment. Do you have now having been a performer in the AP space, but just generally for a long time and doing it in a lot of very emotional, very dramatic and very experimental ways and a lot of just kind of like very rooted in Mm self-expression. Do you have a good sense of I think I mean, I think I can answer the first part of this question (laughs) of what kinds of stories you enjoy telling and, and kind of being a part of and also a good sense as to why those are so appealing to you. Yes. I like to tell stories about monstrosity. I like to tell stories about love. Fucked up little guys, I believe, was the was the phrase. My fucked up little guys, my horrible little meow meows, my broken <laughs> angels, right? Like, And I think what I have learned about myself going to like many different different yeah. tables in this space is that I need to sit at a table where we are interested in telling and exploring flawed characters. I do totally. not tell stories about characters who are like moral to do guides, moral guides on how to behave, right? Like I'm telling a story about a flawed character who learns and grows and changes because that is how I see the world. I'm not interested in upholding any kind of puritanical values about perfection and like these false dichotomies of what it means to be good or bad. And that's an important part of my worldview that I also bring into my expression of character. I am telling these stories as a deeply broken, deeply flawed, deeply fucked up little guy myself, right? Uh, And I need my characters to also be able to exist in that world, right? Where they are allowed to be flawed, they're allowed to be fucked up, they're allowed to make mistakes, and they're also allowed to grow. Because if I give my characters permission to love, to be loved, to grow, to change, as people who are, just by basis of magic, more fucked up than I am, I also give myself (laughs) that permission, right? Like that is where the self-expression comes in. Because if I, as Oka, can learn to love myself as somebody who is so broken, I could do that for myself too. I could do that for the people around me. If I can allow Oka to be loved in the way that they deserve, then I can allow myself to be loved in the way that I deserve too. 
that's what it means for me to create a character and have that be really meaningful to me. We talked about it kind of up top a little earlier. This in 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 God's week of 2023. Um, I saw <laughs> you. Godless re- week. <laughs> well, that's I, I guess that's true. I saw on the social medias. <gasps> Uh, a a cosplay in the wild. Oh my god! One of your character, yeah, the, who we have name dropped a great many times, and especially for a show like Transplaner, where it is so unabashedly itself. Mm-hmm. Hearing that people see themselves in the characters, in the themes, in the stories, in any any small iota of any one moment of the show is meaningful. Mm-hmm. What has that experience been like being perceived as you're you're exploring those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. right? The concept of brokenness and of growth and of making mistakes and of trans identity and for other people, all sorts of different identities in Transplaner, Mm -hmm. but telling genuinely personal stories and exploring very personal themes. What's it like for you to see an audience connecting with that? It's... One of the most special things that feels like at the same time, deeply sacred and also something deeply to be celebrated. Yeah. I'll shout you out right now, Erica. Uh, Erica Rose (laughs) uh, has been fucking like making this gorgeous Oka cosplay for a while and like talks about it like frequently in our Discord server. Right. So it wasn't a surprise to see it. Yeah. But then to see them in the costume there's a tiktok where there's like a song that i love for oka like i love this song for them it's so good that they're like lip syncing to and i literally embarrassingly enough was like in my bathroom uh like scrolling tiktok and like started crying in the bathroom and i was like okay okay all right i laugh in solidarity not in judgment to be very clear 100 100 percent it's really 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 special Again, that was kind of my like the first thing where we were talking about our goals in 2020 before we knew what Transplanter would be, that if even one single person identifies and sees themselves in a character that I make, that I have done my job as a performer and as an art maker, Mm -hmm. it's hard to explain (laughs) like how how deep that is and how amazing it feels. Again, they are a really personal character. But it also means a lot to me to know that, like, I am not alone in my love for this character and they are not alone in their ability to be loved. Mm-hmm. If I can love Oka and if Oka can be loved, like, in the context of their show, then that means that I can be, too. Yeah. Beyond that, right, if we expand that out to, like, fans who can also love Oka can love the broken parts of them, can see what I have made, this like shattered angel of blood (laughs) and grief, and take that into themselves in a way that is meaningful to them, in a way that honestly assumes and insinuates that they also love them because it means that they can be loved in that way, then that is like something deeply healing and deeply special that I think like even transcends this idea of like, fandom i suppose like what it means to to love a character in that way the fact that i have had the opportunity and the pleasure to put that into the world for someone else yeah i don't really have words for but it's really beautiful and it like it means so much to me especially because i'm not a cosplayer to like to see them in a new way i think it's really beautiful i think of like attention and 
activity and creation as an act of love. So it does feel like an act of love that somebody gave to a character who needs it. And in that way, like they become more loved in their context and beyond it. And I think that that's really special. Yeah. I have 400 bazillion jillion questions, but I can't ask them all. And <laughs> no, I also so have, a, have a, no, no. What, what are you talking I'm about? So Stop it. I'm so Nathan. I could no, forever. I will end this call right now in protest <laughs> and only I will be the one to have heard it. If, if you don't cut that out right this moment. But also, unfortunately, it was such a lovely answer that it's like, okay, well, where do I go from there? But the last thing that I kind of wanted to talk to you about is Transplant it from everything that I've I've heard from you, from Connie, from everyone else, um, and just kind of witnessed is that it is a very collaborative, very close, very engaged. You know, kind of always, always talking, always working, always thinking, either passively or actively, mm-hmm. kind of process. And you are doing that not just with all of these kind of players and stakeholders and and whatnot. But with your partner, yeah, who, like you said, you you dragged you, <laughs> dragged you into into things. Oops, I guess I will be Oops, doing a surprise. few more things than just showing up every week uh-huh. and being a bit more involved. And what has that collaboration done to and for your guys's kind of like personal relationship? What has that been like navigating the complexities of content creation (laughs) while also the complexities of a friendship and the complexities of a relationship all at the same time? Yeah, it's such a fun question because like Connie and I both are extremely creative, extremely ambitious, extremely Mm -hmm. opinionated people (laughs) in very different ways, but in ways I think that harmonize with each other. The question is not so much like, how are you doing this particular thing? The question is really like, what would you be doing if not this? Which is we would be doing something else like this. (laughs) It doesn't matter if it's this. Before we were into tabletops, we were doing like we collaborated on different dance stuff. Like we do, we both do theater, right? Like I've helped them write songs, this, that, and the other thing. Like if it was not this, it would be something else. So in that way, it feels like the most natural thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And also, like, there is no singular person that I would collaborate with more than Connie. I could go on at length about how much I love them, uh, but that would be maybe a little uh, gay. Uh, I know that that's acceptable what? here. Hold on. to be gay, um, but I will be wretchedly gay. I will be, like, aggressive, like... If you're, (laughs) I can't say that. (laughs) I can't say that it will make you homophobic. Uh, I can't say that. (laughs) Jesus. Um, But I will be really, really gay about it. But all to say that, like, Connie is the number one, like, collaborator of my heart. Like, I understand their art on a level. And I think that, like, just based on our relationship, generally speaking, like they are the person that I am able to be myself the most around. Sure. And they are the person that knows me better than I think literally anyone else does in the world. And they are the person who understands my art more than anyone else in the world. And they are the person who resonates with me in that way. Like, and they're the person that I could say anything to them. I could Mm -hmm. have any idea. (laughs) It's not bad. I'm not worried about being judged. I'm not worried about like this, that, or the other thing. Like I could just be. And in that way, like there's a lot of creative freedom and a lot of really beautiful, like things that we just make. Like we have 
home games that are just the two of us that have been going on for forever. And like, that's where God Killer came from. The series and the game itself, like was a collaboration that Connie made because he loves me. Right. And it was like, you are a player who insists on killing God. So I'm going to spend (laughs) three years of my life developing a tabletop Mm -hmm. RPG system so that everyone can do it. And that's an act of love and that's beautiful. And that's something that like will forever be really special to me. And that's kind of like how it works, right? Like all the dramaturgy that I do, all of the production that I do, all of the storytelling that I do, all the performance that I do is honestly a very long winded love letter to Connie to tell them how much I love them and how much I love their brain and how much I love the stories that they have to tell because I know them like the same way that they know me. I also know them. And I think that the things that they have to say about story and the things that they are able to speak toward are so special. And I want the whole world to hear them. So I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are heard and shine. And so everyone sees them the way that I see them. Mm -hmm. That's my like super gay answer to that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, see, we should have talked about this ahead of time. I invited Uh you on here and I was just blindsided. I know. By surprise. By gay energy. What? I know. I know it was completely (sighs) out of left field. Such Um, a wild thing that I was not hoping for whatsoever. Yeah. What an off brand conversation and and feeling that that we're sharing here at the moment. (laughs) Well, see. I again, there's so uh, there's like 400 zillion other things that I could talk. We didn't we didn't talk about your dance experience and how that kind of plays uh. into tabletop <laughs> tabletop stuff. I wiggle. That's my that's my short answer is that I think about my characters in terms of their physicality pretty much exclusively. There we go. And and then you wiggle accordingly. And I wiggle accordingly. Bam. Fucking checked another one off the list. There we go. Someone got a, a reckless to talk bingo from from just that short answer. Awesome. <laughs> Unfortunately, I don't think I can keep going any longer. That's so fair. Because I will just enjoy it more. I know. It will never stop. will never stop. And I'll feel even worse mm-hmm. when I have to do what I'm about to do to you. Oh, God. Which is, unfortunately, invite you to the Reckless Attack lightning round. Okay. I hope you're prepared. Oh, I'm I am but an arbiter for the the whims of the forces of the universe, the one who translates mm. the distilled kind of wisdom and curiosity of all that exists and then funnels it into you. I am but a vessel and you are the one who will be bearing the brunt of kind of all of the the massive weight of the universe. So I hope you're ready. I can't lie. I like I went I fully was somewhere. I was was like, whoa. GM Nathan came out to play for just for just a second and not just interviewer Nathan. Yeah. So see. All right. I'm ready. Bring it on. For you and for anyone at home who may or may not have listened to other Reckless Talks, we ask the same questions to every single guest we've ever had on this show in the same order. There are no wrong answers. The only wrong answer is uh, if you lie, I guess, just because like that's <laughs> that's lame, I guess. But like it's your prerogative, I guess, whatever. You can be a whole long winded answer of like, oh, this reminds me of this one time. And uh, here's my thesis statement on that. Or it could be one word answer and be like blue. And I'll, I will I will pause a respectful amount of time. I will not. And I'll move on to the next question uh, and generally try not to fucking blab my own mouth any longer than I have to. <laughs> 
that you can also very relevantly say, you know, I don't really have a good answer for that. And I will, mm. again, respectfully nod and move on to the next question. Um, and should you survive, there will be a reward at the <gasps> end. But I don't I don't like to talk about it because I don't want to don't want to get your hopes up. And I want I, people need to focus to get through okay. the gauntlet that is ahead of them. Okay, but consider this. I live exclusively out of spite, and I'm also super, super, um, what is the damn word? When I like to fight, when I like to win, competitive. I am competitive. super competitive. <laughs> I will be winning. Just the phrase, I like to fight, I like to win, is just like, <laughs> I want to get that fucking tattooed on my forearm just because like, and then like competitive right under it. It's going to be right there. And I will, I will, I, what would C do? And I'll look down at my forearm and it will be compete and win. I will win. And that's sick as fuck. Um, (laughs) Lightning round time. Bring it on. I'm ready. (laughs) Question one C is your glass half full or half empty? I have taken my glass, Nathan, and I have thrown it onto the floor, shattering it into pieces. And I am now going to pick up the pieces and use them to fight God. Does that answer your question? I can neither confirm nor deny whether that was an adequate answer. I am once again but a vessel for these uh, questions of the wisdom of the uh, the wisdom of the universe. Understood. Question two: What excites you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? Divine monstrosity, like nothing else. I've said it a million times. I'll say it a million more. There's nothing like it for me. What does not excite you creatively, spiritually, and or emotionally? puritanicalism uh prescriptive ideas of purity and good and bad Mm. what is your favorite sound the call of a red-winged blackbird reminds me of home i'm gonna put that in the in the show notes uh, along with many links to other things oh nice what sound do you hate I have many a list. I'm very particular about my sounds. I don't like the sound of air conditioners. Makes my life hell in the summer. Uh, I don't like noises that rattle. I don't like the sound of cars. I hate the sound of airplanes. Very scared of flying. I don't like the sound of skin rubbing on skin when it's too dry. Mm-mm. I could go on at length. I think that's what I've got for you now, though. I think like that was like four answers. So I feel like it counts. It's a good list. And I will not be linking to any of those in the show notes. Absolutely unlike the Blackbird not. call. What is your favorite word? Changes day to day. Favorites are fickle and funny. Today, I'm thinking a lot about the word angel. What is your least favorite word? Now, this, was, this is the one that's really going to trap me up here because I feel like I could go with something like moist. But honestly, I don't really have strong feelings about the word moist. Mm-hmm. Words that I really hate the resonance of. I don't really dislike any word particularly today. Today, all words are at least neutral to me. Very fair. What tabletop role-playing game, D&D, et cetera, et cetera, monster or antagonist have you not faced or run that you would love to? So technically, hilariously, despite going level 1 to 20 with Connie in a D&D campaign, I've never actually fought a dragon in game. That is not an uncommon yeah. uh, response. I've never fought a dragon. I've fought a Tarrasque. I've fought a Mind Flare. I've fought a, uh, a Beholder. Like, uh, uh, what are the, the ones that are in the chest with the tongues? Whatever. They Mimics. Are. Mimics. Fought them. Never fought a dragon. Not even mm-hmm. like outside of D&D. There have been <laughs> dragons around, but I've never fought them. Yeah. Yeah. 
What is your favorite adventure of all time? And now this can be this comes with a few, you know, kind of uh, prompts, I guess. It doesn't have to be a D&D or tabletop adventure or it can be one you read. It can be one you played in, one you wrote, one that you watched. It can be 1999's The Mummy, whatever favorite adventure means to you. Oh, I mean, Transplanter RPGs, The Second Stranger is the most special and important piece of art that has ever I've ever made. And that was an adventure that was beautiful. Close second is God Killer First Blood. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite TTRPG (laughs) character of all time? Sorry, (laughs) had to get that out. (laughs) I'll allow it. (laughs) C. Yes. The final question. What gives you hope? Queer love. Queer love will save the fucking world. See? Yes. I have good news for you. You have made it not just to the end of the Reckless Attack lightning round, but for the entirety of your Reckless Attack experience. Congratulations. Woo! Uh, Let's go. Please consult a doctor if uh, the heart palpitations continue beyond two hours from now. But see, thank you so much for your time, <laughs> your energy, and all your expertise. And as a reward for for all of all that you have shared and I experienced. Love <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, you get to remind everyone who you have been, how they can support you, all that good stuff. Hell yeah. I love winning. Uh, my name is C. I like to fight God <laughs> and win. I use they, them pronouns. And you can find me all across the internet, wherever you do your social media is at C plays RPG. That is S E A P L A Y S R P G. I have a really hard time spelling out loud. So I did really good just there. I hope I spelled it right though. Um, Don't worry. There have been like a lot of times where we have had to redo that (laughs) end because it'd be like, I've been talking for two hours and now you're asking me to remember my social media handles. That's not going to work. So you crushed it. Don't got it. So you can find me all across the internet over there at C plays RPG. I make very trans, very gay art. If you liked what I talked about here, you'll like what I do other places. Generally speaking, you can always find me every Saturday at 8 p.m. U.S. Eastern Time on Twitch on Transplanter RPG playing the NPC Artemis and being the producer slash dramaturg in the background. If you don't see me on the screen, just know I'm still there. You can also check out Godkiller First Blood and The Second Stranger on Transplanter's podcast feed if you're interested in any of those characters I was talking about earlier. We also have a YouTube. Uh, we have a recap document. We have a wiki page. You can find us, Transplanter RPG. <laughs> I am also in a bunch of upcoming streams, so check out my social media to see what uh, horrible little fucked up meow meow I'm playing at any given time. There's a whole menu of fucked up little men- meow meows. I've got meows. a menu yep. of baby girls for you to choose mm-hmm. from. That's what I'm, that's, <laughs> that is my promise to you is you want them, I've got them. So <laughs> with that, I will thank you so much, Nathan, for having me on. This is an absolutely fantastic experience. I had such a good time. And I hope that I have recklessly talked my way to the top. See, that shows that you're a professional. Just doing the name drops, the casual plugs. What more could a host ask for? See, (laughs) thank you so much for being just a delightful, lovely person and for chatting with me. Uh, And uh, bye, bye, everyone. Bye.